This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson, and his son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Father, as we come to these words again, we pray that you would bless us, that they would take shape in who we are, and that we might come to know you more deeply and in new ways. Amen. Uh, So far in our journey with Abram, we have learned that God had called him out of this sort of random sort of existence as it appeared to be, and randomly picked him and called him into relationship. We learned that uh, Abram's identity would now be wrapped up in the things that God would show him. He would be part of God's plan. He would be driven by and find meaning in the things that God would reveal to him. And that all sounds really good, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, and so that's really good, isn't it? Because we learn from those things that God is with us and he's for us and he, shapes, he can shape who we are. But actually, that's all, that's all well and good in here, but how does that look in the real world, outside, as we like? Uh, um, what difference might it make to us when we leave this church and go out into the world? And those are important questions, aren't they? How might it affect the way we interact with people around us? Not everybody is for us. Okay, Some people are for us. Most of them are, to be honest. But sometimes we bump into things. And how do we interact with people, therefore, around us? What can we learn about our daily life with God? Because like Abram, we do not live in a vacuum. We do not live in isolation. We, we mix with people in a world that can sometimes be gritty and brutish. Uh, but also can be surprisingly kind and catch us out. I know a minister who had a lot of trouble with cars. He had two that were causing him trouble. One would break down and the other regularly, and the other would develop very expensive problems. One, in one case, a cracked petrol tank, uh, which they described as being particularly difficult to a sort of buying cheap. Um, being a, a minister, a bangonomics, that is buying cheap cars, is a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. You never apparently buy cars that sort of get you very far in the long term, and it wasn't working out for him. Uh, So one day, a second-hand car dealer, and I thought to get a thing of Del Boy, a second-hand car dealer in his church heard about these problems and offered to find and help him exchange cars at reasonable price. He enjoyed the minister's work and wanted to help. 
So not only did he find a suitable car, but he actually, even with a cracked fuel pipe to the fuel tank, uh, offered him the full market rate rather than the trader's part X rate, which changed the picture. The minister was very pleased and said he would ask God to bless the second-hand car dealer. That's not something we often say, is it? <laughs> Quite frankly. But the minister said he would ask God to bless the second-hand car dealer. Now, um, by the end of the week, the second-hand car dealer had phoned up the minister and said, you'll never guess what. This morning, a, business, a potential business friend of mine has given me £10,000 to help my business. Now, what do we make of stories like that? How do we think of, what do we think of those things? How does God interact with us and the things that we do? What does blessing mean and, and how does it take shape in who we are? Think about this. Do we, can we even understand how God does things or what makes him sort of think about this sort of stuff? And while I don't fully understand the dynamics of how God does stuff, these verses, this verse in particular, verse 3, gives us some clues, some ideas about what happens if we allow him to be Lord of our life. Okay, and that's really important. We noticed, didn't we, last week, that the phrase, I will, appears five times in this promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. It's there, five times. God is the instigator. He is the actor in this relationship. He is the one who is overseeing what happens and that's a very important stance. He undertakes, therefore, in verse 3, in the first part of it, I will bless those who bless you. I will undertake to bless those who bless you. It's his job. It's his business. He's decided, I will look after those who look after you. But what does that actually uh, sort of mean or feel like to us today, four, well, nearly 4,000 years later? Well, what it means is that then those who recognized God's hand in Abram's life, those who recognized that God was at work in Abram, strengthening him, giving him courage, uh, helping him cope with the rigors of being sent on a mission he in him, where? What it means is those who recognize God at work in him, God would respond to them. Because people who would see that in that culture would say, this man's blessed by God. Blessed be the God of Abraham. They would bless God's name, and God would bless Abraham. And there's this lovely triangle going on, that God would undertake to do that. So in my story about second-hand car dealers and woe-begone cars in ministers, the car dealer recognized the minister's work, and it became an interaction between the two, both seeing God's hand in the lives of each other. Do you see that? That's quite important, isn't it? Because I think the key is that the minister asks God to do the blessing. It's easy to say, bless you. I found myself in that habit, but actually reading this passage uh, makes you rethink it. I worked, I had, for a couple of summers, I worked on a farm uh, where the, uh, the farmer used to end every conversation with bless you. And it almost became sort of automatic. And I wasn't quite sure what he was, you know, at the end, I'm not sure what he meant by that. Was it meaningless or, or was he sort of totally in tune with God all of, all of the time? And of course, we've picked it up as a med medieval superstition about Satan entering your body when you sneeze. I think we know a bit more than that now. So what happens uh, when we use this word blessing? But the word, the Lord bless you, in the Old Testament, is a different order of comment, isn't it? It's a different order of blessing. In the Old Testament, just a few chapters on, Isaac 
spoiler alert, Abram's son, Isaac blesses his children. And interestingly, he uses the Lord bless you. That's the pattern. A lot of the blessing includes the same ideas. People who see you as blessed, well, God will bless them. And people who curse you, God will curse them. We'll come to that in a minute. But the instigator, the source of it, if you like, is God. And I think we possibly deceive ourselves if unless we are inordinately wealthy and able to influence all sorts of things, actually we need God's help even when we want to see blessing happen. It's, it's something that he wants to do. We have relatively little power in the grand schemes of things. And even if we have enormous financial resources, which is the first place we look to, to think about blessing, because that's how the Old Testament looked at blessing, financial wealth, actually we might find that blessing comes in other forms and that God has the capacity to speak to people in ways we couldn't imagine to help us in ways we wouldn't understand and vice versa. God's resources are infinitely beyond what we can imagine. Hence that lovely prayer in Ephesians. Ask for more than you can possibly imagine. Beyond immeasurably more. We talk about, we talk about a relationship with a God who's beyond our understanding and his, his resources are beyond that well, but his ability to move in our lives and in the lives of those around us that they might be a blessing to us and we might be a blessing to them comes from our relationship with him. So the privilege we have in this first part of verse 3 is that God undertakes to act on our behalf in, in a life of kindness. That he will act kindly to those who are kind to us. And he will encourage us to be kind to those who need his kindness. And I think that's a wonderful starting point, but it comes out of knowing that he is there and acknowledging that he is Lord. The Lord bless you, says Isaac to his sons. The Lord's business. I give it to him to see what he would do. Not like a secret Santa, even better than that. And that's one of the wonderful things about it. So it's a lovely thing to think God undertakes to do things that are kind on behalf of his people. If we allow him to be Lord of life, we could hope to see kindness amongst ourselves and those around us. Now, I want to look at this uh, second part of verse 3 uh, in a little bit more depth. Not verse 3, cursing, um, but because it's, quite, it's a little bit more complex. We'll see uh, from verse 3 that God undertakes to curse those who curse his people. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Now, the first thing to notice is textually, we've got a those and a whoever. So those who bless are expected to be a biggish number, but whoever is a restricted, and God anticipates that there would be relatively few people who would curse Abraham. Okay, so there's, that's the first thing, that it's not everybody, although the world sometimes, modern psychology can set you up to think that Everybody's against you. There's one of you and seven billion of the others. But the important thing here is actually, in terms of the things that you encounter, they'll be relatively few compared to the things that are good. Second thing is the word, is the imbalance, if you like, in the English translation between curses you and I will curse. Uh, the word, the first word is different from the second in the Hebrew, and in English it makes sense, but actually the depth of the Hebrew word is disdains. 
disdains. That's quite a, that's quite a tough word. Uh, the English would be then that anybody who thinks against us, anyone who mutters against us, especially if they can hear this to be superior in some way and they are mocking. And if you think about Abram's life, here is this man, God has blessed him, he's, he's evidently God is with him, and people are, some people are going to get uppity about it, they're going to take umbrage. So those folk are not going to experience God's blessing, they're going to experience God's curse. They would not experience the kindnesses that Abram is. Now, this is really quite tricky stuff, isn't it? I mean, we could, go and get, we could go and be like the disciples and take it a bit too far, but let's first of all unpack a little bit about what that might mean. If they take exception, they will not experience God's kindness. So in, in opposite, if you like, to blessing, blessing is a signpost of God's favor and kindness, Curses is the withdrawal of that. God will not act towards kindly towards them when they perhaps need it until they turn round. This is about signposting people towards God. If they're experiencing misfortunes and things, this is quite hard, but some of it is about pushing people, pushing people back to trust in God. That's what he undertakes to say here. And I find that uh, quite challenging. We tend to signposting. We can see that Abraham will stand as an example of God's love, strength, and support, and kindness. People who reject that will find themselves actually further away from it than nearer. And that's quite a difficult thing. The other, another thing to think about it is that actually I don't have to, those who object to my faith are really not my problem. That's quite a bold thing to say, isn't it, really? It's not my problem in the sense that it means I don't have to defend myself. They're attacking God. And God can cope with that. And personal attacks are one thing, but God has undertaken to defend me. If, someone, if somebody's having a go, chipping away, trying to undermine the things that you hold closely to, then actually we can remind ourselves that God is for me. He is on my side. God has chosen to be kind to me, to make himself known to me. In Isaiah uh, 53, I see if I've got it on my slides. There, sorry. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In some translations, that griefs is our infirmities or even our failures. God has picked us up in spite of our weaknesses. And if I can say to myself, in spite of my weaknesses, God is for me, then anybody having a pop, anybody having a little go, why are you bothering with this God? But I, I can say, you know what? I'm not deserving of this love or this kindness, but I have it. I have it because God has chosen to give it to me and it can be for you. That's all that needs to be said. So God picks up picks us up, sets his affection on us in spite of our infirmities. We don't have to be perfect before he picks us up, before he makes himself known to us. So it's quite an important thing, I think, to hold on to there. Quite an important thing to hold on to. That Abraham was going to face criticism and questioning and people were going to look at him strangely. And I wonder how, my, how many times sometimes we face that. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we don't talk about God in our daily life. And, that, and he doesn't come up. Maybe that's not part of our dynamic. But if it did, and people found it difficult, 
God is undertaking to say, they're not your problem. Don't worry about it. Let me point them in the right direction. And it means then that we don't, if we're allowing God to be Lord of those sorts of situations and rule over rule in our lives, we don't have to take matters in our own hands. In the uh, Gospel of Luke, the disciples come to a Samaritan village with Jesus and they just don't want to know. So here's the sort of example we're talking about. They don't want to know. And the disciples say, well, we want to call down fire from heaven. Do you want us, Jesus, dear Jesus, do you want me to put fire from heaven on these people? That's basically their prayer. He says, no, what are you thinking? <laughs> what do you want about? We don't have to do that. If we trust that Jesus is uh, handling our sins and our shortcomings and the rejections that people throw at us because of those things and our faith, we don't need to react out of fear or anger. We don't need to do that. That comes from somewhere else. That's not from God, though. Even in Jude, which is a very small chapter at the back of the Bible, there's one verse where it talks about how even the archangel Michael did not slander against Satan over the body of Moses. If even an angel, that's a different story in some ways, but if even an angel gets into that kind of confrontation and chooses against the most evil thing that's ever existed, not to slander it because it's God's business. God is Lord over the angels. He's Lord over us. Is it up to us to go around slandering and reacting out of anger and fear? No, it's not. We don't need to. God has accepted who we are, our griefs and our sorrows. So that's an important part of being, uh, being Christian today is knowing that God undertakes to bear those things. The amazing thing about the gospel, which we're coming to now, is that others will find us on earth. God carries on to Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everyone on earth can find blessing, that is, can find God's kindnesses through Abraham. And what we find is that the faithful obedience of this man, Abram, trusting God in his daily life, would have an enormous impact. Not only would he see God's promises fulfilled, but people would find their way to God through those, through him and the way that he was living. People would work on him. People would see God's work in him. He would become widely known in his area. And people would come to find God was real and active, and doing stuff in the life of this man. Matthew's gospel lists Abram as the first father at the, as the beginning of the life of, Dave, of Jesus, in the house of David. All people will find blessing through Abram's line. And Jesus is this presentation, isn't it, of blessing. He deals, on the cross, he deals, deals with the curses, not just the ones that we have endured, but the ones that we have spilled out. And we find forgivenesses and kindnesses through him from the cross. God's grace, a blessed mercy, and his justice all meet at the cross. That is a blessing to everyone. The opportunity to know God and know his kindness to them. Anyone who steps forward into the, that life steps into God's greatest blessing that God was showing Abraham or talking to about Abraham, with Abraham now. What an amazing thing. But all the way along are these signposts. There are signposts about God acting in people's lives. 
and there are signposts when suddenly you find yourself, what do I do? Things have gone wrong. And those are the things that we need to pay attention to. We need to be pay attention to them in our lives and perhaps nurture those around us that, you know, can I talk to you about somebody who can help? What then could we do? How could we live uh, like this? Well, I think there's two things. I think we need to think about the battle uh, in our relationship with God. Who's in charge? Um, it's lovely to be able to say, I prayed for this and it happened. Well, who's on the pedestal there? Yeah, okay, who's done that? Yeah, none of you admitting it. <laughs> I cast out this demon. I healed this person. I blessed this thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, God heard what you were doing and joined in because he thought it was a good idea. And sometimes he, and when you, when you didn't do it, it probably wasn't. We have an idea or it wasn't his plan for that person. But it's important to hold on to that. We have to have a clear understanding of our relationship with God. There's five I wills here. And we have to think about who that I is. And I think sometimes even within church land, uh, we think that God is a magic genie who's there to solve our problems. This has gone wrong. But actually, you need to examine what's going on in your life. And say, okay, how did I get here, God? And what's the way back? That's a more important way. When stuff's gone wrong, say, you know what, God? How did I get here? And how, what did I do to get to this position? How did, what's your way back for me? Maybe we think he's a lovely grandpa. He's kind, old, and wise. But he possibly dozes off when you really need him. He's not really paying attention. He's not really hearing you. Is that the God that we imagine that we've got? I hope not. Is he a really busy, capable, dynamic father figure who leaves on Mondays, returns on Saturdays, and is only there on Sunday? No, he's not, is he? No. The, the I involved in this is the great I am. Yahweh, the great I am, who revealed himself to his people, came to us as Jesus Christ, and can live with us as the Holy Spirit in us. He's there. All the time, if we want him, he's ever present. I am. That's the I behind the thing that we is. And then we need to think about who we really are. We like to think that we're self-sufficient and strong. Uh, it's interesting to come at the, uh, the far end of Mental Wellbeing Week, Mental Health Awareness Week, where people are actually questioning, are we healthy and strong? Can we uh, cope with these things? So I'd like to join me in this quick survey. Um, hands up if you can control your moods. Right, I've got two at the back. Right, hands up if you are at peace with everybody. Well done there. One, one over here as well. Wow. Hands up if you have no fear. Yeah, fantastic. And hands up if you don't need forgiving. That one gets us all, doesn't it, really? But that's who we are in this mix, aren't we? And what is our place in this? Either we allow God to, either we allow God to help us with life, with these things that are daily occurrences and daily relationships that we have, or we say, I'll try it on my own. Well, we can hold on to that stick for as long as you like, but sooner or later you're going to crash. But what we have is the opportunity to, to walk with God, and I will, who will be part of our lives. And when we live with God as Lord, we know that we're with the God who is, on the one hand, so vast we can't comprehend him, and yet, at the same time, can gently touch our hearts with a word with exactly what we want to hear with us. And we find ourselves that we have a God who helps us, lives with us in a messy world that is gradually 
coming under his rule. And we can be signposts of that. Shall we pray?